0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. We're talking this, if you got the email, we're going to be talking about do not judge. I I titled it do not judge most of the time. I I was, uh, it's Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day. Ladies, if it was up to me, you'd all have a carnation or a flower um, or a rope, whichever is the least creepy thing to get from a guy that is not your romantic interest. But I really wanted these two ping-pong tables, so we have those in the youth room. I'm very sorry about that. Um, feel free to use them as a Valentine's Day gift for you. You can go play ping-pong. Uh, Karen and I uh, went to Walmart last night to drop off a couple of red boxes. And as I was there, it was late, uh, we, w- we went after dinner, I was like, Walmart is packed, and Walmart is 24, it's always packed, right? But I was like, it is really packed, and then it like, clicked, I was like, oh, slackers, right? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm judging, no, 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 I'm sure they're working double ships, and this is like the first time that guy was able to get out there to go get some cheesy box of chocolate for his girlfriend or his wife or whatever, and so... Anyway, that, that's, that's where I was last night, thinking about do not judge and judging other people as they walked in and out of Walmart while my wife was dropping off a red box. Let, let, me, let me pray for us, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, very well-known passage of Scripture. If, if you did not bring a Bible with you, we would love, we, as a church, we love to have Bibles on laps. And so in front of you, in one of the chairs, there's a Bible, depending on your version. We're also very cool with flipping to the table of contents. But if you don't want to do that, it'll be either on page 812 or on page 635. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own it, we would love for you to take that home and you just make that your Bible. As Reynolds said, Brad and Robert are both in India. I think we got a text from them this morning at 5.30 in the morning or something along those lines saying that things were well. Brad has already preached once. Robert has taught once. But do continue to remember their, them in prayer. And in saying that, I'm pumped. I, I, I get to preach two weeks in a row. And I hope that isn't a bad thing for y'all. It's a very exciting thing for me. Um, and, and so, and I used to hop up and be like, hey, it's me, JV. But Brad let me preach on the Sermon of the Mount. Like I, I, I'm like doing what he would be doing. Just with more hair, hopefully. So, um, that's not a cut on him at all. He has a much better jaw than I do. All right, let's get into God's Word. Let's, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we open up your Word and as we prepare to spend time not only together, but together with the Spirit of God uniting in, in, in the truth that explodes out of the pages of your book, God, just a couple of things. We are just by sin nature, regardless of the fact that we're American or where we live or the amount of money that we have or, or any anything like that, any characteristic about us. Just the fact that we were born a human being, we are judgmental, and, and, and Father, it is it is endemic of who we are. And, and so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would be open to whatever it is that Your Holy Spirit wants to do through the power of Your Word, and that You would you would mold us, that you would shape us, that you would break us and build us into the image of Christ, certainly for your glory. But God, would we realize that even as we say no to things that bring a passing pleasure to us, and we say yes to the things of God, it is indeed for our own good, it is indeed for our joy. And so even as we look at a scripture like do not judge, may we find encouragement here. And God, I think it is so easy for us to, to think about this phrase, do not judge, do not judge, and sort of say, oh, well, that's finally, it's like an easy one in, in, in one sense. Like, I get it. I, I understand what God's word is saying here. But Father, may, may the fact that just because we understand it point us to the fact that it is exceedingly difficult, indeed, it is impossible for us to do this. And so may this simple truth point us to a simple gospel. That we sinful, broken people cannot do what you require of us. And so just as Springer read and prayed already today, may we realize our need for Jesus this morning. And may that just pour out of every page that we look at in your word today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and start reading Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to give you kind of the main points if you're a note taker. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, We went out to eat... uh, I want to say it was about three or four days ago, we went to Longhorn's, a pretty nice restaurant, and uh, we've got the kids, and they're sitting around the table, and I understand, those of you who know my family know, our kids are loud, our kids are energetic, clothing many times optional, but... It's not like we don't discipline our kids, right? Like if you spend a fair amount of time with us, you'll see one of our children do something wrong and then one of us will disappear into the void for a moment with them and then they will come back hopefully after receiving discipline and having their heart turned into the the, the will of God and the, the way that he would have their character be in alignment with his commands and with his scripture. So, so we try, all right, like, we, we bring technology with us. I know there's some condemnation on that. But we don't want to ruin other people's, like, meals. So we've got technology. We take the kids on walks. Okay, I, I've given you the idea. So we're sitting down at Longhorn, pumped about it. I'm excited because I'm getting a steak. And I, I'm, I'm excited sitting here. And our kids, they're, they're being good. They're just do, doing the deal, right? Then two people walk in and sit in the booth right behind us. The hostess is like, here you go. Here's your seat. Um, I'm not being judgmental when I say this. I'm I'm just painting the picture. The dude is big, shaved head, bald, leather jacket. He's a biker. Like, rough dude, okay? Or at least that's the persona he has chosen on that morning to profess, okay? I don't know. Maybe he's an accountant, and he talks like this. I don't know, but that's that's how he walked in, okay? And he's got this woman with him, and they sit down in the booth right behind us. So my back and his back are sharing the booth bench. I, I am not joking at all. Sometimes I think God does this just because he's like, oh, what are you preaching on? Okay, here, you can use this. Us. So he sits down, and within 15 seconds, within 15 seconds, he says loud and proud, like the hostess has not been able to move, so the waiter or waitress can come. Before the, the hostess can move, the dude just declares, hey, I need another table. I don't like kids. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't Hair, whatever, I mean, here, my, my initial thought is, oh, this is good, right, I'm now lamenting that I don't have my wife's seat who can watch this whole thing transpire, because the, the, the hostess is like, oh, okay, and she goes for a minute to find them another table, and as soon as she does, the woman, the girlfriend, the wife, I don't know, I'm assuming it's a romantic interest, starts laying into the dude, but like in a quiet kind of uh, manner, right, but she starts laying it. So they both get up. She leaves the restaurant. He goes to where the other hostess is. She never comes back. <laughs> After five minutes, the guy, the guy leaves. Now, here's the thing. I don't care. I, I mean, you know, it's not like they spent three hours with my kids and were like, nope, not these, right? He didn't know. He just sat down. And he was like, I don't want to deal with that. And, and, and I didn't care. The, the host was like, I am so. And I'm like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. The manager comes over. And it's like, we are so embarrassed. I'm like, why are you? You didn't do anything. And then here's what happens in my mind. Like, I'm good up to that point. Then here's what happens in my mind. I start thinking, the guy probably don't want to sit by kids because he didn't have kids. And probably didn't have kids because he wanted to live his own selfish little life. And I'm like, oh, there it is. I dealt with it so well. And then... It was right, like, it's right. There. And here's the reality about judging. As we read this, as we look at verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Intellectually, this is easy to understand, right? Don't judge people. Realistically, man, do we need Jesus. And, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about the truths of God, They both set this standard that we're like, yeah, good standard. And then they're like in the moment, we're like, oh, I can't live by that. And and the whole time it's just pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to our need for the one who can. And in that moment, right, I'm thinking, I don't want that thought. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. I don't want that thought. You, You understand what I'm saying? Somebody says something on the news that I'm not a fan of. I don't want that thought. And, and let me just give you this comfort as we start to pound in on the brokenness of our hearts and the judgment that we have. The fact that you don't want that thought is a beautiful evidence of grace. The, the fact that it, it's, how do I say this in a way that makes sense? Having the thought is not the bigger issue. Everyone who's ever walked on the planet has the thought. Hating the thought is a beautiful thing. Because you can't hate the thought if the Spirit of God isn't doing something in you. It's a beautiful evidence of grace. And so as I pound on us for a minute about being judgmental, at least allow that to be the blanket that sits on your soul and keeps you smiling and not think, this slays me. I'm horrible at this. It is comical. My wife is giggling as I'm going over my notes with her about the fact that I'm preaching on this. And she's like, I feel pretty good about this. She's like, you, however? And I'm like, I know. I know. I know, I know. So when we look at this scripture, let me, get, let me give you about three points. Number one, we need to avoid judgment that is destructive. If you're a note taker, we need to avoid judgment that is destructive. Number two, we're going to see this in verses three through five. We need to seek judgment that is constructive. Avoid judgment that is destructive. Seek judgment that is constructive. And I mean it on both sides. We need to avoid judgment, both giving it and allowing it to be given in our presence. When it comes to number two, we need to seek judgment. Nice, that was quick. Seek judgment that is constructive, both in our own lives and in giving it to people who we have the opportunity to speak into their lives. And then finally, and this is what Jesus does in verse six, that sort of seems kind of weird. What are you talking about? Dogs and pigs and pearls and what, what's the story? Well, what about when constructive judgment isn't? wanted by someone? What do we do in that situation? So, that, so that's, that's what we're going to look at. So, so here in verse 1, Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. Whatever measure you use is going to be measured against you. So are we to be accepting. We live in a culture of tolerance. I would submit to you that Jesus is not saying we need to be all accepting, as many people in the church will tell you as a believer you should be. And I think this is very easy to make because look at verse six. Jesus says, don't judge. And then he calls people dogs and pigs. Little judgmental, Jesus, right? Just a little bit judgmental. And he's not even three or four verses after saying, do not judge. So there's gotta be a bigger idea than what our culture says judgment is. And this is what we do. We either take God's word, doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. We either take God's word too far we're too short, but we rarely take it to heart. We either take it too far, and we're like, don't judge. Hey, you can't make a claim on me. Don't judge. You can't tell me how to live my life. Don't judge. Or we take it too short, and as I'm saying these things, you're like, no, I'm not that bad. Right? You want to talk about judgmental? Let me tell you about this guy. Right? So, so a lot of times, we'll, we'll either take it too far, we'll take it short. My, my, my heart this morning is that we would take this to heart. So what does the Bible say about judgment? I'm going to give you some shotgun scriptures. You may not want to flip. They're going to appear on the screen because I'm going to go very quick. On one hand, Jesus says, don't judge. On the other hand, He refers to people as dogs and pigs. On one hand, James 2.13 tells us this. Judgment for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want mercy from God, you need to be merciful don't be showing judgment. But then we read in Matthew 7 15, this is just a couple, this is like three Sundays away. We read Jesus say this Beware of false prophets. Well, wait a minute. You have to make a claim that what somebody's saying is not true or is not good to call them false, he goes on. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but on the inside they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. That's a judgment. That's looking at the way somebody is acting or behaving or the convictions or the beliefs that they have and saying, that's not good. But then we can go over. Romans 2, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Jumping back, 1 Corinthians 5. Paul, this is huge. There's a guy in the church claiming to be a believer that is exceedingly wrapped up in sexual sin. Paul's not even there. And here's what he says. Though I'm absent in the body, I'm present in spirit, as if I was present there. And I have already, check out the wording here, pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Drop down to the bottom of verse 5. So what does he recommend they do? Well, it's pretty simple. Deliver the man over to Satan. Can I submit to you? That's a little bit judgmental. Deliver him. But what's the purpose? Look at, look at the following. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Give him over to the sin that he is choosing above Christ. Let the consequences of that sin wreck him. And hopefully he will be saved and come to repentance. Judge. Don't Judge. Judge. Don't judge. All of this, I, I think, can be culminated in one very short scripture in John chapter 7, verse 24. Here's what it says. And, and by the way, there are many, many more. Judgment is uh, how to or not to judge is literally in scripture. John seven twenty-four. do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. There is a wrong way to judge and there is a right way. To judge, And Jesus begins our text by discussing the wrong way to go about making a judgment, and then He closes it off in talking about the speck and the log and the pig and the dog by saying there is a right way to judge, and it is important that you do so. What does this destructive judging look like? If you take your heart and your mind and you put it on the petri dish of the microscope of God's Word, let me ask you this. Are you hypercritical? Are you a fault finder? Do you major on minors? Do you put your preferences above people? Do you have a graceless pursuit of perfection? Always tweaking, always fixing. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. It's always got to be better. It's always got to. And if you don't know, ask your spouse or somebody who knows you well. (laughs) They're dying for you to ask them. They're probably already like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then you can be like, see what you just did? Oh, now he's finding fault in my finding fault. And on and on it goes. It's it's tucked in. Um, Brad's not here, so let us have a Spurgeon quote, shall we? Um, This is is, uh, a little bit of a paraphrase um, for Spurgeon. It says, surely, if I know myself aright, I need not send my judgment to try other men, for I can give it full occupation to try the traitors within my own bosom. It's good. If I really know my... This is, where, this is where Paul says, hey, I'm the chief of all sinners, right? I'm the worst of the worst of the worst. What's he saying? He's saying if I judge myself rightly, I don't have any energy to be needlessly, nitpickingly finding fault in the people around me. I've got enough garbage to deal with to last me. A lifetime. And the way to determine whether your judgment is destructive or constructive, I I, I think can be understood by this. Many times our motive will will affect our manner in dealing with people. Our motive will affect our manner. Is the motive of you bringing up this trespass, fault, imperfection in someone... The way that you approach them many times will tell you whether or not you're coming with the right motive. Let me give you a few questions just to think about. Number one, I'm going to read this and I'm just going to pause and let you think about it. How do I feel when I find out of another person's weakness or sin? How do I feel when I find out of another person's weakness or sin? Is there ever a twinge of pleasure? Is is there ever this dark delight in you? How about this? Am I prone to encourage what is going well or to vocalize what's not? I'm not saying you should never vocalize what's not going well. I mean, God knows we need one another in that. Sanctification is wrought through relationship many times. But what is your natural inclination? Is it to encourage or is it to vocalize what's imperfect? We have a, a go-kart that is not running sitting under the porch at our house right now. It was a Christmas gift, which means it's not running after, oh, good, 40 days. And it was running fine. my kid got on it and he was enjoying it. And Daddy was thinking, you know, it just it feels like it's idling high, right? Like... I need to adjust the carburetor just a little bit. It just needs a little tweak, right? So I go and I tweak and I tweak, and I, I tweak it until I break it, right? And now I'm, like, livid with myself, right? But, but this is what we do. We, we, we're so nitpicky, and, and sometimes, here's the thing. Sometimes we hold people accountable to things that God's Word does not. That's messed up. When God doesn't have a problem, but you do, and you're like, no, that's what we got to talk about. Like, th- th- there's an exceedingly busted up situation there. Question number three. Do you offer your opinion quickly without knowing all the facts? This one may not immediately jump off as, oh, that's, that's judgment. No, it is. Because there's some amount of pride, there's some amount of assumption tucked into your ability to make a discernment on a situation without knowing everything. Can I tell you how it happens, I think, in the lives of people who grow up in the church in a very, very dangerous way? So, when a situation is presented to you, and, and, and you can make it something as devoid of emotion as something that happens on the television, or you could make it as emotionally wrought as a person coming to you with tears of sorrow or anger. And your natural response has nothing to do with God's Word. In fact, as you're racking your brain and as you're racking your heart, you really can't come up with anything from Scripture to say. But you know that whatever you say must be backed up with Scripture because it's what you think. Maybe I'm the only one. I've spent enough time. The way I would typically assess this, I'm sure, is the way that God would view this. There's a, there's a lot of stuff tucked into that. Um, today is one month since we got our daughter home from China. We came back on January 14th. Today is February 14th. And uh, which, by the way, thank y'all. Um, many of you guys have sent meals and prayers and things like that. I can't tell you what a blessing it's been to our family, especially to my wife. We haven't not cooked like this since college. It's good. Um uh, but I, I, I did want to just say thank you. I, I wanted to tell you, we, before we left, we had to go through all this training, and you, you get all these files uh, of kids as to, you know, is, is this the child that you feel the Lord is leading you toward in adoption? And because we were adopting from China, there were some things that we knew. We knew that we were going to get a child with special need with special needs, we knew that there were cultural norms there. And as we're going through this file, we realize that our daughter has a birthmark. Now over here, it's, you know, it's a birthmark. But over there, it's, it's, it's not perfect. It's not whole. It's not exact. And so many times, that is what leads a child to end up in an orphanage. That, that's my mentality is as I'm hopping on all these planes and flying over there. And I get, I get my daughter in my arms. And I've, I, I've told people this her little birthmark is my favorite thing about her because if she didn't have it, I would never have her. At least that's the mentality. So I get over there and it's impossible not to be judgmental in a sense, right? Like, like I'm fighting it. Who would give up this beautiful little girl? Who who would subject her to, to an entire life up to this point of not being in a family, but being in an orphanage and and, and all of this stuff is tucked up in me. And yet it's, it's convoluted because I'm also happy because if that hadn't happened then I wouldn't be able to adopt her. we feel like God called us to that we know that God called us to that and and so I get over there we get in Nanning which is this little province this this little city next to the coast in southern China and our guide his name's David our guide is kind of walking around and, and telling us stuff and somehow in the days that we spent with him we started asking him about his life and he was telling us about, you know, I've been doing social work with this adoption agency, helping, you know, American families get, uh, get orphans from China for a few years. And he said, when I started, though, my mom was really angry with me. And I said, well, why, you know, why would she be angry with you? I, maybe it's not the most lucrative thing, but anger? And he said, yeah. So my mom was talking to me, and she said, how can you do that? How can you send these kids over to America. And, and he said, well, mom, they're orphans. They don't have a home. They don't have a family. And she said, yeah, but you know what they do. This is this is heavy, by the way. Let me preface. She said, you know, they take those children over there so they can use their organs for their biological kids. That's dark. That's heavy. I am holding my daughter as he says this to me. And, and I'm not, that, that, that's, that is what his mom, and, and and I was immediately blown away by the fact that so many times we've got these judgments that we're shooting one way and other people have these judgments that they're shooting another way. And here I am thinking this about them. And lo and behold, without ever announcing it to me, there are people thinking these things about me. They're completely unfounded. How often do we make decisions without knowing all of the facts? So how, how do we get to being able to do this the way that Christ constructs us to. We, we live in an age of tolerance, right? We're, we're not supposed to have an opinion on abortion or on same-sex marriage. We're, we're not supposed to be able to say things about churches that may not preach the gospel or a prosperity gospel because we're all Christians. We're all supposed to be happy with one another. We're not supposed to be able to approach cultural Christians in our lives and say the thing that you're professing about Christ is not lining up with the life that you're living and we have this understanding of God whether you're a believer or a non-believer that's very hard because we know that God is loving but he is also just and he is also merciful and he is also holy and he is also righteous and he is also compassionate and and I think that is very hard for us um John Battestini over on the wall over there. I'm telling a story about you right now, John. Years ago, I went over to John's house after church. This is, I think this is schoolhouse days. After church, he invited us over to lunch. So I go over to his house. And I don't even know how many kids we had at that time. We may have only had Ellis at the time. And we're, we're, we're sitting down eating lunch. And I mention, hey, that's a really cool horse you've got out in the field right, right next to the house. Is that yours? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's my horse. And if you know John Battistini, it will not surprise you. They said, yeah, that's my horse. You should go ride it, right? Like, that's just how he is. Hey, this would be cool. You should go do that, okay? And I have a motto. I think it's biblical. I would argue that it's biblical, but it's my motto. So, whatever. And my motto goes like this. If you have an opportunity to make a memory, and it's not going to cause you or someone else to sin, do it no matter how uncomfortable it is you're not going to regret it when you're 80 years old looking back and that that's that is how i approach life that that, i mean that is one of my, my don't use that against me by the way um hey will it's not it's not sinning. you should go skydiving right now go you should do it no i gotta take care of my family or i'd be worse than an unbeliever scripture boom moving on all right but so so i'm like yeah okay i'll go ride this horse I don't know anything about horses at that time. Since then, I've been on like this, this cattle run where it was awesome. We had this guy teaching us how to ride a horse and understand horse behavior, how to move cattle. It was awesome. I feel like I sort of know my way around a horse a little bit. I, at that point, I thought horses were tall four-wheelers. Not joking. I was like, you just hit it, get it to go as fast as you can. You go, woo, and that's it. That's what they do. You just have to, you put in hay or straw instead of gasoline. That's the only difference. That's how I viewed it. So I go, and I throw my foot in the stirrup. I knew the name of that thing. I grab the doohickey. Still don't know what that thing's called. Throw my leg over, and I grab the reins, right? So I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. I'm I'm messing with the horse. I'm pulling on this rope, and I'm trying to get it to turn. I finally get it to point in one direction. I'm like, go. Go, and it like takes off. I'm like, yeah, riding the horse, going so fast. Run straight to the opposite side of the field and just freezes up. I'm like, no, let's do it again. So I turn it. I'm like, all right, let's go from this corner to the other corner. Kick the thing again. And there it goes the other way. I am not in control of this horse. Not at all. It starts like getting upset. I can't remember if John comes out or if I'm just like, whoo, I'm done. I hop off. And what I thought were the reins was just the lead of a horse. It didn't have a bit in its mouth. I just commandoed this thing, right? I didn't even know it. So I, so I tie it on, and John's like, yeah, it didn't have a bit. Do you want me to get the reins? I'm like, no, I'm good. Got my four-wheeler right in. I'm set. See, the reins of a horse, this is, this is uh, an, another parable that we have in here. The reins of a horse, James, right, it, they, they keep it from going in the wrong direction. When you keep equal tension on both reins, the horse goes straight. When you pull on one, it goes in that direction. Here's what we, not just believers, but people do with the character of God. We pick our favorite character, and we pull on it. God is loving and just. And that is how we steer the horse of our faith, and we pull on God as love, but all that happens is the horse spins in circles. And then next to us, we've got this guy who's like, God's love, but he's righteous and he's holy and he's just. And he pulls on that side of the reins, and the horse starts spinning in the other direction. And we have Christian, we have a field. Of people on horses spinning in circles. Occasionally making eye contact with someone else just long enough to tell them that they're doing it wrong. It is the blind leading the blind. It is a speck in the eye. It is a log in the eye. And that's what we do with the character of God. So how are we supposed to deal with this? Let's quickly look at John chapter 8. Turn there with me if you would. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. How does Jesus deal with this? What is his motive? What is his manner? John chapter 8 verse 1. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people, keep this in mind, this is important for the setting. All the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. There is a crowd. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, the midst of what? They bring this woman, seemingly that had just been caught in the act of adultery. Picture that, clothes thrown off, embarrassing. They they drag her in the middle of a crowd of people receiving teaching on righteousness. Placing her in the midst, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, hey Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Before I read any further, can I just tell you how despicable it must have been that those leaders grinned when they found that woman? That is the wrong motive. How how broken for them to say, ah, we're going to use her as a way to catch this Jesus. How broken. Verse 6, they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He's not quick to respond, although he had all knowledge. That shouldn't be a lesson for us. Jesus knew all the stuff. He still didn't say anything right away. And as they continued to ask him, as they pushed, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. There were two different motives and two different manners that this was dealt with. What this woman did was exceedingly wrong. Jesus isn't going to act as though it's okay. Tolerate. Accept. No judgment. That's not what Jesus is going to do here. But the manner is, I care for this woman and I want her to come to repentance. The manner of the teachers was, here's a chance to catch Jesus and look at this despicable woman. Forget about the family that's getting wrecked. Forget about the manner in which you're dealing with it. Forget about the wife who doesn't know about it, but is finding out about it in a crowd of her peers. The manner that we deal with the judgment of the people around us, because we are at times told to bring judgment, a righteous judgment, the manner tells us the motive of our heart. Jesus goes on and he says in verse 10, Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Notice she calls him Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Mercy, grace, go, and from now on sin no more. Justice and righteousness. It's not tolerance. It's not acceptance. It's love and concern and care. That's what Jesus shows us. We need to seek judgment that is constructive. Let's look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It is a dark thing that we can be blind and strain with a splintered eye to see the darkness of another, rather than recognize our blindness and look to the light and look to Christ and look to people in our lives who would point us to the cross. When we look for darkness to comfort darkness, it is a far weaker comfort than what Christ offers us. It is a far weaker comfort than what Christ offers us. Now, you, you'll note that we're not told not to remove specks. You See, that, that's not what Jesus says. He says, don't do so when you got a log sticking out of your eye. He, he doesn't say, don't do it. He just says, how would you feel if you're going... What's the little surgery where they fix? The what? Yeah, LASIK, Okay. How would you feel if you're going in for a LASIK surgery, okay, and do you get put to sleep for that? Okay, we're going to say you can. You're really nervous about it. Really nervous, all right? The mask goes on, and as you start to fall asleep, the doctor bumps the nurse and is like, I do these all the time. Give me the blindfold. Starts putting the blindfold on as you're like, That's what's being talked about here. Like how you would feel in that moment is how someone should rightly feel when we approach someone about their brokenness without first dealing with our own. Right? Beautiful illustration that Jesus gives us with the log and with the speck. But we need Christians in our lives close enough to confront us. I know that's not a fun thing, right? Like we're always, hey, we want you to be in a community group. It's hard to meet people in rows. We want you to have, this is a fairly big church. We want you to know people. We want you to be in community community with each other. We want you to be discipled and being discipled and all of these kinds of things. But here's the deal. It's not comfortable and it's not fun, but it is a beautiful grace that God gives us. What a joyful thing it is when two people can say my greatest concern is the glory of God. So if I am erring somewhere, if I'm stepping too far to the left or to the right, you have the right to speak into my life because I'm less concerned about how I feel about myself and more concerned about the glory of God. That's where we should be. That's the constructive criticism that Jesus is pushing us toward. And it's a community of criticism. I'm going to give you homework on a Monday that is a vacation. You got a day off. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Sorry, some of you don't. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is the story of David and Nathan. David commits this atrocious sin with Bathsheba. Adultery, sound familiar? But it's dealt with in a very, very different way. Nathan comes to him with this judgment, with this conviction, but the motive and the manner that he comes with is indicative of the God that he loves and that he serves. Write yourself a note. If that's that's not you, text yourself, email yourself. Get your spouse to remind you tonight to read 2 2 Samuel chapter 12. if if we would just do life that way, so many of our relationships, so many of the tumultuous, strenuous strain in marriages with our kids would dissolve when we do things the way that God calls us to. Um, I was arguing with my wife a few nights ago. I can't remember about what. I'd like to say I was right. I probably was not. Um, Here's what she said to me, and, and it was a righteous judgment. So I I'm throwing me under the bus, not her, this Sunday. Um, and so, so I, I, I can't remember what it was, but, but I, was, I was frustrated. Guys, you know, I was getting frustrated. I, was, I couldn't get her to understand my point. I, I couldn't get it to be impor- as important to her as it was to me. And she said something to the effect of, well, now I've got some preaching on, I don't know, maybe it was Wednesday. Now I've got some preaching on Wednesday, and I'll get some preaching on Sunday, right? So what, she's, what she was saying is, you're preaching to me, and she was right. I, I I didn't have this, and I probably didn't have this, um, but I was preaching to her in that moment. And and I can't help but wonder how many times we go to pull out that speck without doing it the way that God calls us to. How how are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to see clearly. We're supposed to know what's foreign, and we're supposed to assist. You can't see clearly if your heart isn't being washed by God's Word. You can't remove what's foreign if you think what's sin is just what you don't like. And it's very hard to assist if you don't have the consent of the patient. It's very hard to assist. And that's where our passage ends in verse 6. It seems like it doesn't fit in, this, this saying, "...do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs." lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But what Jesus is answering is, what do we do when our constructive criticism, when we're coming the right way, we have the right motive, we have the right manner, but it's not received, it's not wanted. Well, what's in view here? That, that idea of pigs, that idea of dogs, in the Old Testament and in, and in biblical times, this is not the lap dog. This isn't frou fru that like watches daytime television with you this is like that gnarled dog that has a limp right and a skin disease and it's eating chicken bones all the time but somehow doesn't die it's that one that like scavenges and walks around that's what it's it's the pig that all it does is roll around in its own filth what is jesus bringing up here it certainly sounds judgmental and it is you see it's a different type of spiritual malpractice With the log and the spec, we realize that we can be optometrists that are very poorly trained. But here, we we meet the patient that is unwilling. Now let me preface this by saying, this happens few and far between in our lives. Because what I'm going to say sounds very contrary to what we grew up hearing in the church. What is this holy thing? What is this pearl? Uh, Early in the church... There was some thought that it was baptism or that it was the Lord's Supper. In other words, unbelievers shouldn't participate in baptism or in the Lord's Supper. It's true. But because of the context of this, the pearl, many times it points back to the pearl of great price. What Jesus is talking about here is salvation. What Jesus is talking about is the gospel. And he's saying, if there is someone whose eye, whose heart is dead, it doesn't have any life in it, it can't see, it can't feel, then it's not going to notice that there's a speck. It's not going to feel that there's a log. And when we don't feel like there's anything wrong with us, somebody coming to us and saying, hey, I'm here to fix you, is re- it's, it's rejected, it's resented, it's pushed against. And Jesus is saying, this is what is going to happen with the gospel, but this is a unique case. This isn't just somebody saying, no, 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 I'm not interested. This is somebody who is antagonistically, argumentatively, Hating the person bringing the message as well as the message because they, their sin has them so dead and opposed to the gospel that they need Jesus. And he says, here's the deal. The remedy for that sickness is exceedingly valuable. It cost me, it will cost me my life. Nails will go through my hands. A crown of thorns will be smashed upon my head blood will flow and I will die that this remedy would be made available to you. It is not to be wasted. It is not to be treated lightly. It may be freely given, but it wasn't without great price and cost to obtain. The idea here is that this this holiness is most likely a food the pearl is exactly what you would think it to be. A pearl, something of value. And I can't help but see the gospel here. Food, holy food, food is something we all need. But we don't always value things the same. And the gospel is the same way. It's something everybody needs, but not something that everybody values. Uh, my wife brought home some uh, pearl uh, bracelets and necklaces and things like that to give her friends from China. The, the area that we were at was the Pearl District of China. They were everywhere. i never seen anything like it. There were, there were just jars of pearls sitting in the street. There were miles of street with the, with the ocean behind them with nothing but pearl shops. They, they took the pearls that weren't perfect, and they would crush it into a powder to use like as a face treatment. And it was super cheap. It, because it was so prevalent. It was so readily available. I think we can do the same thing with the Gospel. It's so readily available that we begin to cheapen it. I don't know... I don't know how to convey everything that's packed in the Scripture the way that the Holy Spirit desires to convey to us that we not be people who are judgmental because we do not want that judgment back on us. I don't know how to convey in a way that makes it stick until Tuesday that we still need to be willing to speak to our culture in a loving way about the heirs about the sins that are causing people to stumble headlong into eternal separation from God. I think that's something that only the Holy Spirit does. But if we don't understand the gospel of need for Christ, if the fact that our thoughts are so judgmental immediately doesn't force us to come to Christ, then we're just missing something. Many times we're just missing Jesus. You... And I, if you're a believer, we're called to cast the seed of the gospel. That's what we're told to do, to cast the seed of the gospel. And if somebody is so antagonistic, and again, I don't think this will happen, but maybe a a time or two in your life where they're so antagonistic, that's when Jesus says you shake the dust from your sandals because this is a a valuable thing. It's when Paul says go into that place and if they don't receive you shake the dust off from your sandals as an indictment to them that they have rejected the gospel of Christ that he came to live the life that we should have lived to die the death that we deserve so that anybody who repents and trusts in him can live with God forever in heaven. If if that beautiful pearl is being thrown to a pig grab it and go and take it to someone who will listen. Paul would tell us We cast seeds. We do not revive hearts. That is the work of the great physician. Only God brings dead to life. He's the great physician. He's better than any MRI or CAT scan. He looks in this moment and every moment that we've spent together, he looks and nothing escapes his eye. There is no speck, there is no dust, there is no glare, there is no whatever those little thingies are that get bigger as I get older and like swim across my eye. None of that. He sees perfectly clearly all of you and all of your brokenness. And if God is willing to show grace and forego judgment for you, one, you should respond to that. But two, you should be willing to show that mercy to others as well. If God is willing to show grace to you and forego judgment on behalf of Christ, ought you be willing to do the same? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Every time I open your book, I I am simultaneously slayed at the fact that I can't do what it says and encouraged at the fact that you have done it for me in Christ. I'm constantly busted up and thankful that you, a righteous, holy, loving, merciful, compassionate God, saw fit to display love to your children by sending your Son. Fathers, we... As we close out our time together, as we close the book, may your word reverberate in our hearts and in our minds. May the great grace that you displayed through Christ, the manner that you sent him, the motive behind it, Father, may that lift us up, may that overwhelm us, may that cause our hearts to overswell with compassion and grace and mercy. But Father, may we hold steadfast on to a God who is righteous. And may we point to that truth, not for the judgment, not for our own pettiness, but for the good of those around us. Father, may we point to You. Jesus, we need You. May we be people who are so excited about the mercy and the grace that has been shown to us, that we can do nothing but show mercy and grace, no matter how hard or how difficult to the people around us. And may that be a testimony of the goodness of our God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.